Right now, we're facing a man-made disaster of global scale. We are the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it. If we put together science, technology, traditional knowledge, we can protect our planet. I want you to act as if the house was on fire, because it is. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of People Taking Action, a podcast bringing inspirational stories of people around the world who are taking action against the climate crisis to you. Throughout the ups and downs in the battle for environmental sustainability, there are local heroes out there who carry on doing their work and making a difference. My name is Alex Whitebrook and with me as always is my co-host Khadija Stewart. Hey, 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 that's me. Khadija. Yeah. I I have to say I'm loving the uh I'm loving the new Khadija introduction. <laughs> yeah, me too. Today we're going to be talking about uh Thailand. And Thailand is a country that faces so many unique climate challenges. It's really crucial for us to acknowledge right from the get-go that if we don't claim to understand every little thing that's going on in Thailand, there's just so many things going on there. But the thing we're going to be talking about specifically is waste management. And waste management is a really big topic when it comes to sustainable development. There's always a new thing that people are talking about that is wasteful or you shouldn't be doing. Trying to figure out new ways to deal with waste is just, it's so important. So today we're going to be talking specifically about that in Thailand and interviewing a really inspiring young guy called Oshim Merchant who is a young entrepreneur that's established a energy company called Florence Energy, which tackles both the challenges of energy scarcity and environmental sustainability by designing and building these state-of-the-art plastic-to-fuel plants, whole power plants that are modular next to landfill sites so that they can convert plastic waste into petroleum, thereby creating a circular economy which is just amazing. Let's just jump straight in and tell me a little bit about what you found when it comes to Thailand uh, waste management and and Thailand's climate policy. Okay, so everybody knows Thailand as, you know, like one of the destination vacation spots. That's one of the top 10 places to go on vacation and whatnot. But right now, Thailand is on the map for something completely different, which is waste, right? In 2017, after China banned the importation of plastic and electronic waste, Thailand started picking up the slack. And they're now one of the world's dumping sites, right? And they're now being labeled as the garbage bin of the world, which is an absolutely horrible status. Exactly. But if you didn't know this, essentially a lot of landfill, a lot of waste that comes from many countries all over the world, especially highly developed countries, they don't actually have the capacity domestically to deal with this amount of the amount of waste that's produced. So they send it to other countries to be processed. And that's exactly the issue that Thailand's dealing with now, isn't it? Yeah. They're receiving large volumes of plastic waste. And this is actually a major problem because they don't have proper recycling facilities to deal with the waste. And the recycling facilities that do exist, they can't process the plastic that they're receiving because the plastic is now contaminated, right? So now it's either you have facilities under operating or they just don't have enough. And it's just like a big mess, really, a big mess. And now Thailand is now the world's sixth largest contributor of ocean waste. 
And it's just like, you know, when we think of the concept of waste, it's something that we really need to change because it's like we use this item once and it's no longer useful. It's no longer needed. And we just discard of it. And, you know, there's this thing that goes when you throw something away, there's no such thing as a way. It has to go somewhere. And now it's going in Thailand. And this is not only the economic issue or social issue or environmental issue. It's a severe health issue. Right, because we all know that landfill sites and whatnot are ridiculously unsafe. You have leaching taking place, contaminating your water sources, you have poor air quality. You know, it's just a, a series of unfortunate events. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, Thailand, right from the get-go, is not a country that can take much more environmental stress. The government in Thailand has not done a lot to combat the climate issues it faces. In 2011, Bangkok faced the worst flood that it's ever had. And since then, they haven't much more severely than they used to. It's already facing severe impact from climate change. And under the current policy of the Thai government, they have a few different plans in place. Their most recent policy from the government's Office for Natural Resources and Environmental Policy and planning was one power development plan. And this is a policy which essentially says Thailand is going to continue on its path to maintain fossil fuel as the primary source of its energy and even build new power plants. So in in general, when it comes to climate issues in Thailand, they're not on a good trajectory right now. Greenpeace has actually called them out to say that under its current target, it will be impossible for Thailand to achieve the benchmark for reducing the per capita emissions to below five tons of CO2 to the equivalent that's needed for uh, reaching below two degrees Celsius target in temperature rise globally on average, which is what the Paris Agreement sets out to achieve. So basically... I don't want to keep getting too technical, but Thailand has a lot more work to do. (laughs) Yeah. As is, we're not out here calling out Thailand saying it's like the worst place ever because every country has their issues, you know, but this is just where our interviewee is from. So we're talking about Thailand. Please don't feel attacked. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, anyone listening who is from Thailand, we know that people in Thailand are doing an amazing job to help overcome the issues that the country is facing. And Oshin Merchant is one of those people. He has really just taken on the challenge of the masses of landfill that Thailand is facing and finding new ways to to overcome it. I mean, you mentioned the saying that when you throw something away, there's no such thing as a way. But what what you made me think of was another saying, which is, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Exactly. It could not be truer in this case. So Arshim Merchant has really found a way to turn the tide in Thailand's climate challenges. Yeah, and not much people know that um, plastics actually have a high energy content and you could use this to convert it to electricity, synthetic gas, fuels, recycled fuels, feedstocks, or like other chemicals for other chemical processes or whatnot. But previously, the technologies and whatnot to turn plastic into fuel wasn't 100% clean. It wasn't efficient. But, you know, as time move on and you have more innovative products and technologies and whatnot, the process is now 100%, you know, cleaner and whatnot. And this is why Osham and his team has decided to pick up the slack and find a way to convert the plastics in the landfill into a resource. Yeah. And obviously, plastic isn't just a landfill issue. Um, another another major problem with plastics is it gets into waterways that Thailand is struggling to manage already. It's quite an infamous issue around the globe that China is building more and more dams on the Mekong River. So Thailand is already facing these water scarcity issues, and it just adds to the issue that so much waste and plastic is getting into its waterways as well. And where do these waters lead as well? Into the ocean, which then has a cumulative impact on countless species. So it really is a compounding effect 
yeah. this waste management if it's not done properly. Yeah, just a whole domino effect of things. And actually, as you mentioned, oceans. Oshim and I both attended the All Ocean Youth Conference held by Sustainable Ocean Alliance in Oslo last year. We didn't really have a chance to connect much in Oslo because when we were working on different themes for different projects. But now I'm excited to have the opportunity to talk to him, to get to learn more about what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I guess it's high time to jump into an interview and ask him a few more questions about his work. Welcome, Oshim. It's really a pleasure to have you on our podcast. And I just wanted to jump straight in and ask you to tell us a little bit more about your own environmental journey, how you got to where you are today, and tell us a little bit about your company, Florence Energy, as well. So people taking action. Thank you for having me on your podcast today, and I'm really excited to be here. The story of Florence Energy goes back to 2009, when I was doing my chemical engineering degree at the University of Adelaide. And being an international Mm -hmm. student back then, we were supposed to find an internship And it wasn't easy finding an internship back then just after the global financial crisis. So in the process of getting an internship, I actually went to India where there was a company that invited me over to look into their plastic recycling. One weekend, I was taken to see a landfill. And that was the first time I ever visited a landfill. And let me just pause here and ask you a question. Have you ever been to a landfill before? I have seen it from the road, but I've never been inside. Fair enough. And Alex? I have been to what I would call a dump. I don't know if it was a major landfill site, but I've, I've seen some some landfill. Yeah. And, and, and that's the first interesting point here is that we see all these pictures of landfills on Google, in magazines, but unless you physically go there and see it, it leaves a lasting impact. And I guess that's where my career into waste management began. It wasn't on my preferences list at all. In fact, it wasn't even on my list. But then after seeing that landfill and the smell and the piles of waste lying there, 150 kilometers away from the city, it really uh, lit a spark thinking, what are we doing? You know, we are consuming without any implications. For a 21-year-old youth back then, what even left a bigger imprint was seeing these neglected elderly people, women and orphans scavenging for whatever they could find on that waste pile to go sell for a couple of bucks to earn their bread and butter. So there was no dignity of labor in the landfill. It was messy and it it was horrifying. So um, my entire third year, fourth year went towards building a team, working with my lecturers, working with professors and experts in the field to come up with a solution to tackle what I found was the largest component of waste, which is plastic waste. Today, more people are aware of the impacts of marine plastics, of marine plastic pollution, of landfill plastics, etc. But essentially, if you go to a landfill, you have two main waste streams. One is your plastic waste and the other is your organic waste, dry and wet. So my entire career at the onset was to tackle plastic waste. And the way we went about it was using a technology called depolymerization technology, optimizing it and implementing it. One thing that distinguishes us from the people in the industry today is we are not just machine manufacturers and sellers. Mm -hmm. We are here to operate the plant. (laughs) Operating a factory is very different from just selling a machine. You sell your machine, you can walk away. But when you have an interest and you're invested in operating a machine, that is where real impact is created. That is where real change is brought about. Frost Energy was uh, was an idea in 2009. We applied to a lot of competitions. There was a competition in particular called the Australian Entrepreneurship Challenge. And for mm-hmm. the, and the first two times we applied to it, we were knocked out right at the first stage. We didn't pass the first stage at all. 
And we kept at it. So there's a saying, don't give up until you get it, right? So the third time in 2013, when I submitted it again, I went all the way and came out with one of the prizes for the top three startups. And that set the foundation for the company. That's when we went and incorporated the company. And the next step after having a technology on paper and proving a pilot scale, we needed to commercialize it. Coming back, I basically manage a portfolio of three companies. And the three companies Mm -hmm. are Florence Energy, which is focused in Australia. Mintra Energy, which is Thailand, and MK Aromatics, which is in India. And all three companies operate on the same premise of design, build, own, operate plastic to fuel plants. Plastic to fuel is our core business. We have been in it for over 10 years now. And our most significant achievement is we have produced over 12 million liters of petroleum from over 18,000 tons of waste which is equivalent to a reduction of 21,000 tons of greenhouse gas emission. When we talk about implementing circular economy principles, real impact is only created when you bridge the gap between design and implementation. And that is something that that's what we basically do. Yeah. And and you do focus very strongly on design, I believe. I was reading about your company's work and the plants that you build are modular. Am I correct? Yes. Does that mean that you can build one up and take it down from one site to another? By modular, what we mean is that the minimum viable capacity to set up these plants is 10 tons per day. The biggest issue in waste industry today is the approach that one size fits all. By doing modular plants, what we achieve is we go into a landfill, regardless if it's a rural area, regional area, remote area, or even the city. You start with a 10-ton modular plant and you start processing 10 tons of waste per day. And then the credibility is built up. And then in the same infrastructure, you put up more modules of the plant. Because in any chemical plant or any processing plant, the beauty is your critical equipment needs to be scaled up, but your ancillary infrastructure remains the same. So that's where you get a cost advantage in scaling up. And modular Mm -hmm. is modular reactors of 10 tons per day. Okay. So using this modular design, you're able to scale as you need. Absolutely. All right. And I mean, you already beat me to my next question, which was going to be, what are you most proud of achieving? So the numbers, they really are very inspiring. I mean, to know that you came from those origins, trying to apply to competitions, get your startup out there and failing at certain challenges along the way. It's amazing to see how far that you've come and how many companies you're now managing to overcome waste management issues in different countries. Thank you for that. But I think at the end of the day, when you talk about factories and manufacturing and all this, yes, there are tremendous chances along the way. And Mm -hmm. to all the listeners of your podcast, I would really like to encourage them, if they're young, especially to enter the manufacturing industry. Because being a young industrialist today is not easy, but it is very rewarding because yes, I've given you the numbers of how many liters of petroleum I've produced, etc, etc. But the real joy Mm -hmm. comes in when you create opportunity for 50 people who are currently working in horrible conditions of the landfill, you empower them by bringing them into the formal workforce You give them an identification, you restore the self-esteem. And by empowering 50 individuals in the landfill, what happens is each of them have their own families. So you then empower 50 families, which is equal to 200 people. The same 200 people living in that community begin to have better buying power. They can send their children to education. And then the community of 2,000 people becomes safer because of the economic resilience. And that is where the real satisfaction comes in doing business at this scale. 
and 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 in regards to achievement i guess um i wasn't sure if you wanted a personal one or a professional one i mean both either <laughs> the flow is yours <laughs> that's an interesting one now i guess personally i would say this year um i was selected on on merit to a program called the swedish institute management asia pacific cohort and we were supposed to go to sweden to learn some of the best practices there and come and implement but due to the unprecedented covid crisis uh, the program module mm-hmm. went online but even though the modules shifted online the amount of new concepts that we were exposed to such as gender diversity inclusion corporate leadership best ethics and and responsibility because there is a huge credibility crisis in the waste management industry mm-hmm. today half of the mm-hmm. municipal budgets of many communities are spent in waste management you're paying ratepayer or taxpayer money to shift waste from point a to point b and it doesn't make sense at all and there's no mm-hmm. transparency and there's no accountability there are amazing leaders out there who want to bring about change but i do not know what waste i will get tomorrow so for example if i'm running my plant today and i consume 12000 tons of waste to produce 10 tons of oil tomorrow that 12 tons will change to maybe 8 tons or 9 tons depending on what feedstock comes in and in the process chain how do you really bring about transparency and accountability the right approach of going decentralized will really empower mm-hmm. every community out there because there are landfills everywhere and it's very important to tap into local resources and create change from grassroots level ashima as you bring up the fact that like one day you could get 12000 tons and the next day you could get 8000 tons what does that uncertainty in the volume that you're receiving means for your business it is a high risk business in the in terms mm-hmm. that you're putting up a factory without having consistency in your feedstock and and this is a very mm-hmm. important point to actually reflect upon when we talk about climate action there are many variables that are uncertain So when you come back to reality of merely operating a plastic to fuel plant the technology number one has to be robust in terms of being able to handle the changes in the feedstock so one of our strengths is no sorting no washing no drying just put all the plastic waste as it is and get processed and mm-hmm. our viability and financials everything is benchmarked on output because i can guarantee a production of 10 tons output oil per day but i cannot guarantee how many tons of waste i will consume that day and that is not possible because we do not know what waste will come in tomorrow so having factored mm-hmm. all of that getting that 10 tons output makes the project viable regardless of what the input is across the world you will mm-hmm. find there are hundreds and hundreds of waste to energy plants either losing money or lying idle or lying closed why is that the case that is the case because there's an assumption being made that all the waste has high calorific value it can all be just burned and converted to steam and converted to power that is not true plastics have high calorific value agricultural waste doesn't so as part of our company strategy and vision for the past 10 years we have built our credentials and our track record in plastic to fuel and going for the next 5 years we are actually including another component to convert the agro waste that comes to us into 2g ethanol and the third phase of the project would be to go into hydrogen because all these are intercomplementary at the same time the approach that we are taking is each waste stream must be handled individually to unlock its economic value i can't put agro waste and expect to get oil at a viable conversion rate but plastics yes absolutely so 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 mm. this is the kind of 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 i think change required when policies are drafted is that how do we 
unlock economic value from individual waste streams because a one-size solution does not fit all. Mm, and I think a lot of policymakers might fall at the first hurdle when they're looking at this kind of waste conversion into fuel and they're worried about the quality of the oil they might be producing, whereas you're focusing entirely on the quantity there. And like you say, that is quite out-of-the-box thinking. But when you're taking plastic, no matter what quality, no matter what condition, into your plants to produce oil, does it affect the quality? Yes, it does affect the quality in terms of when you process different plastic feedstocks, your oil will also fluctuate as per your feedstock coming in. And that's Mm -hmm. where we have an additional component of distillation. Distillation is this is not rocket science, but it is mind-blowing because it makes everything consistent. That is the whole beauty of distillation. So you get all this oil mm-hmm. coming out on a regular basis that go into storage tanks, and then you distill it out to what the customer wants. As of today, the oil that we get, it is sulfur-free, it is naphtha-rich, it has all these beautiful characteristics because when they make plastic, it already undergoes a refining process. And here you're depolymerizing plastics back to petroleum. So... When you do distillation, you can convert the entire stock into one consistent diesel-grade standard. You can, in fact, distill out individual fractions, light diesel oil, heavy diesel oil, and that's where you further unlock economic value down the chain. So handling these variables and these inconsistencies is what makes a project successful because a customer wants the same thing every day. He doesn't want to have to deal with what happens with your output, you know. So so it's very important to have a mm-hmm. distillation and a P2F module put together wherever you put the plant up. The information you've been giving has just been, it's really fantastic. Your your knowledge really shows, like shines through in what you're saying. I also wanted to ask you a little bit more about Thailand itself. Sure. Your home, uh, in recent years with the work you've been doing, do you feel as though Thailand has been supporting you in your efforts? Do you feel like you're, you know, fighting a a lonely battle against waste management? (laughs) Very interesting question. I think coming to Thailand and waste management, there's a lot of innovations out there. There's a lot of ideas out there. There's a lot of commercialization opportunities out there, but they're all scattered. Every other person comes up with a new incubator or accelerator every other day. Every company wants to have their own incubation hatch for young startups. So there's a lot of individual communities that have come up to provide support in terms of cross-pollination of ideas, but it's all scattered. We need to bring it into one reference point and then let people choose what works best for them. And coming down to the waste management sector in Thailand, in terms of renewable energy, I do feel we have taken a, a backseat compared to where we used to be because of many reasons. However, while Thailand may have taken a back seat, the beauty of being an industrialist or an entrepreneur in today's world is there are other countries that are, are more welcoming. Last year, I was in Melbourne where Florence Energy was recognized in the Australian Technologies Competition. And then I was in Norway prior to that, where we were recognized at the Our Ocean Conference to tackle marine plastic pollution. And then in India, I've got a couple of PPP projects, public-private partnership projects going where we are actually at different stages from land acquisition to commissioning. So in all this, there are pros and cons to everything. And in Thailand right now, we have just uh, finished a a land acquisition to put up an ethanol plant. But the incubation period from now to how long it will take 
that is not clear yet. So I guess as a young industrialist, you need to have multiple opportunities on your table and work on all of them simultaneously, multitasking, because you never know which opportunity will work first or go forward first. For example, right now, there's a great deal of investment happening in Australia to really set up all the critical recycling infrastructure, which is really good for the country, for the economy and for the people. We felt that where the opportunities are, that's where you go and do what's best and build on that. Yeah, and I think that's a really important message. It's really crucial to keep yourself fluid, to make sure that your companies are responsive to where the demand is. And if Thailand you know, isn't in high demand right now for waste management services, or at least not heavily supporting it, it's very important that you're there and you're laying the foundations to, to get your next ethanol plant going. But it's brilliant that you haven't let that stop you and you've been working on other facets of your, of your organizations instead. Uh, you and Khadija actually both went to the Ocean Conference you mentioned. Isn't that right? Yes, we did, but I don't think we crossed paths in in Oslo. I really don't think so. Which group were you in? Yeah, it was 100 people and we were in 20 groups working on different topics. I was working on sea level rise, I believe, and coastal management. Yeah. What group was that? I bet it was the top 10 because it's on the other side of the room while I was in the other team, which is number 19, (laughs) right at the corner. No, we were, uh, my table was like right at the middle, like by the stage. Right. You were right in the front, in the rightmost corner, group 1920, you know, right there. Oh, yeah. If you were in the front, in the corner, like by the screens, I did not see you. This is great podcast discussion <laughs> now. Really, really referencing places that everyone understands. Oh, yeah, yeah. By, right by the front corner, by the oh, screen. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, what sorry we're trying to say is, <laughs> so what we're trying to say is next time you put tables and chairs, make sure they're in a circle and not in a rectangle so people can get exactly. to see each other. Because that was a very interesting conference. You know, there were so many young people there, amazing work that they were doing. But it was so it was packed with so many conferences and meetings that once you had your own group, you would just hang out with them and go for this. Yeah, and that, that was and it. Because I was telling Alex like it was such a great opportunity, but because it was so much of us, and then because we were put into such small focus groups that we really didn't get to connect with one another. But here we are now. I was making the connection earlier to the um to our listeners that like even though you're talking about waste and whatnot, like everything we do on the land affects the oceans. Even though you're working on reducing plastic waste by turning it into fuel, ultimately that's preventing plastics from entering the oceans, which is great. Absolutely. Maybe you could tell us what's your plans for the future. Where do you see your company? Where do you see yourself? Are you going to set up in more countries? Going to take over the world? You know, what's, what's the goal? So I wish I could remember the exact words of this Confucius quote, you know, where you be like the river and you just go with the flow. Hey, hey, this is a podcast. If you want, you can go look it up. (laughs) (laughs) So um, my approach, I guess, in life in general has been to have a plan, but also be flexible about it in the sense that, yes, I manage my portfolio of three companies. I'm very passionate about it, but I'm also passionate about things like public policy which took me to the Our Oceans Conference. And I'm also mm-hmm. passionate about farming. So I also have my own farm where I grow patchouli and benzoin trees as part of, um, I just enjoy the world of flavors and fragrances. But, <laughs> nice. but in, in, in all of it, I think going forward, I do have this objective to make depolymerization technology the first preference to tackle post-consumer, non-recyclable waste plastics, number one. My company's mission is actually to put circular economy principles 
in practice to increase resource recovery and socio-economically uplift those who work in the industry. So going forward right now, we are putting up a project in Australia and we are putting up a project in Thailand. And in response to, do I want to go to other countries? I am always open to collaboration because I really believe in the power of, of people. People drive companies. And, and, mm-hmm. and it is the people within organizations that really come together and make things happen. But in terms of where my efforts will be directed to, it will always be India, Thailand, Australia. Probably because um, I was born in Thailand. I grew up here for a bit. Then I did my schooling in India. And then I did my tertiary education in Australia. It's like a comfort zone in a way. But it's also a place where I'm familiar with and my strengths are there. And, go- and going forward, I do want to expand my product portfolio from not just petroleum, but as mentioned earlier, 2G ethanol and hydrogen. So these are my three creep products that I would like to really be known for going forward. The journey of entrepreneurship is really, there's no, what do you call, uh, a signboard or preordained path to walk on. You know, every day you take a step, mm-hmm. you're actually creating that step. And and I guess every day for me is a new day because when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I ask myself is, what are my priorities for the day? And that's how far my planning really goes, that one-day planning. <laughs> and that's not to say that I don't have a long-term plan. Yes, I do. I keep everything within the scope of being realistic and what is achievable. Growth is important, but having organic growth is more important than just boosting your numbers for the sake of it, you know? No matter whatever industry you're in, put your heart and soul into it and really believe, yes, each and every one of us can make positive action, positive impact. It doesn't have to be big or small because it's a small seedling that becomes a big tree with fruits one day. And and that's how you should view whatever it is that you're doing with a long-term view, have patience and, and have the grit to go along the journey and, and see where you come up. I think that those are really great words to end on, I think. Um, I have really enjoyed the very grounded view that you have, despite all the work you're doing with each of your companies internationally. You're still, you're very people-focused, and you talked about how the people that you work with have driven you to pursue a circular model for your companies to help not only create that environmental sustainability, but also financial viability to uplift the people that are working in landfill sites and obviously are already financially struggling themselves. So it's literally sustainable development, the economy, the society (laughs) and the environment. So yeah, (laughs) well done, Ashim. Could you tell the people where they can find you? That's a good question. Where can they find me? As an introvert, I tend to keep to myself, but yes, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I I'm very, so this is a rare sighting of Ashim. <laughs> I'm very easily accessible on LinkedIn under my name, Ashim Merchant, Facebook, Ashim Merchant, People Taking Action podcast. You can get to me through Alex and Khadija. <laughs> I'm sure if any of our listeners are interested in reaching out to you, I know you'd be happy to talk to them. Thank you very much for coming on our podcast. It's, it's been fantastic speaking with you, Ashim. Thank you. And do keep in touch and looking forward to meeting both you and Khadija in person. Um, wow. Okay. That was, <laughs> that was a brilliant, that was a brilliant discussion. It really I'm was. very inspired. <laughs> yeah. I was just listening because he said something about like a seed and a plant. <laughs> and you were like, I can use this. <laughs> oh, because that quote was really powerful. So yeah. When, mm, when you go mm, back to. Absolutely. Yeah. He said, hope gives life to dreams and it doesn't matter what actions you take, whether big or small, because even small actions are a seed that one day will become a large tree and bear fruit. Wow, you remember. 
It's called listening. <laughs> I was listening. Oh my god. Uh, well, I know that we didn't discuss Thailand specific issues too much, but I think so many of the issues we discussed, especially in waste management in general, it's such a global issue that you can't just talk about how it applies to one country. We know that Thailand's facing some specific challenges, but it's something that every country faces. As Oshim mentioned, you know, there are landfills everywhere yeah. and finding ways to, to convert that trash into treasure, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, <laughs> is something that we all need to turn our minds to. Yeah, and like you said, there's no one size fit all. So you have to like customize your solution to, I guess, the environment, the volume, whatever it is you're dealing with. You can't just slap the same model on everything. It just would not work. So, yeah. Obviously, there's a whole other range of issues to consider. Obviously, if we're converting the plastic into petroleum, that is then going to create more greenhouse gases itself when it's burned and used. But this surely has to be better in the long term when in a circular fashion, taking our waste and using that rather than destroying whole habitats and environments to extract fossil fuels from the ground. So yeah. there's at least that positive aspect to it. And I think that it would be interesting to follow up with Oshim in future and, and see if um, he's exploring other areas and trying to work his way into renewables as well. Yeah, but like you said, like right now they're trying to diversify. So it's not just the fossil fuels, they're creating ethanol and then they're creating compost. So who knows what's next? They're just out there converting, mm-hmm. really seeing waste as a resource and really putting it to good use. Well, that's everything for this episode. We hope you enjoyed our chat with Oshim and feel inspired by the work that he's doing. And we also hope you learned a thing or two about waste management and what things are being done around the world to help overcome the consumer waste issue that we're facing. All the sources for this episode will be posted in the show notes. And if you want to find out more about Oshim and his work, his details, along with a blog, will be posted on our website at peopletakingaction.org. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, People Taking Action. And if you want to hear more episodes from us, we are on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. Yeah. We're also excited to announce that for this very first season of People Taking Action, we're teaming up with Bloomberg journalist Akshat Rathi to promote the work of the amazing young people in his new book, United We Are Unstoppable. This collection of 60 essays from people saving our planet is a very inspiring read, and we will be featuring a few of them in special edition episodes. So keep an eye out for those and go grab a copy of United We Are Unstoppable by following the link in the show notes. And thanks again to Legion X for the great song we mixed together to make our theme. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you in the next one. Bye.